701 on a Tuesday. It's a big band Tuesday here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste, Primetime Craft Beer is full flavor without compromise. You can get some at a liquor store near you, or you can visit the brewery to see how it's made. I keep on thinking you're going to trip up on meticulously. I'm a good He's very meticulous guy. with he the did, meticulous he goes, he goes into those reads very carefully sometimes. Meticulous. Meticulously brewed. What is it? It's the... Uh, how do you, what's the pronunciation guide they give you in broadcasting school? The teeth, I don't know. I failed tongue, that part. <laughs> the teeth, the tongue, the lips. You have to meticulously... The teeth, the tongue, the lips. I never went to broadcasting school. Can you tell? Uh, yes. I have no idea what it, I'm doing. It's link ladder. Link ladder. Link ladder. Yeah. Link ladder. Get a load of this. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? Kintech. That's his radio voice. Right? Right? Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, guys. (laughs) How's the weather? (laughs) Okay. uh, Seven o'clock hour. It is underway. We got Arthur Staple coming up at 730. We will preview the Canucks and Islanders tonight from uh, UBS... Arena, not USB. That's a port. Uh, 4.30 our time. We'll talk to Arthur about uh, an Islanders team that's actually kind of surprisingly good. Yeah. They're in a pretty decent spot for the playoffs right now. The third in the Metro after a very erratic start to the season. Uh, The East stinks. The East stinks. The East stinks. The East stinks. Look at who's, who's, who's a team, relatively speaking, who's a team that really worries you? In the East. Do you think Florida might have the best chance right now? I still don't know about Boston. Like, if you look at their center depth, without Bergeron and Krejci, just, you know, you get into a playoff series, you know, prove me wrong, Bruins. Maybe they'll do the opposite. Last season, everyone thought they were going to just roll after the, the regular season that they had. And I know they're having a good regular season this season, but, like, I just, the one C matters. Right? Sure. The, you know, what team, who is their 1C right now? Do you have their lineup up? Like, I, I, I don't even know who it is, but I I don't believe in that team. The Morgan Geeky. Morgan Geeky is their 1C. Charlie Coyle. Right? Matthew Potras. Yeah. Who was, in yes. the, who was at the juniors, he was. right? He so didn't do anything there. Mills for Volquist is their So first. are those, those four centers? I mean, if they do, they're going to make history in terms of the quality of centers that go on to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, Florida, I think, has a chance. The Leafs, I don't know, man. I don't think the Leafs are particularly good right now. Look how many regulation wins what they have. What about the New York Rangers? Last yeah. night's defeat to the New York Rangers. I mean, I was looking forward to watching the Rangers because, you know, I'd heard so much about them. Certainly wasn't very impressed with them defensively. I thought they looked sleepy. Mm-hmm. They're half of their, you know, the Canucks, the Canucks toyed with them at times. I guess the only other one they haven't mentioned is Carolina. Yeah, but Carolina's always good during the regular season. The question is whether or not they've got like that big dog that can lead them to the promised land. You I know? mean, I would agree with you that the higher caliber of team is in the West. Mm-hmm. I think there's. I mean, cause here's the thing: if you want to put this, the East has more competitive balance because they don't have the three worst teams in the NHL. The three worst teams in the NHL are Anaheim, Chicago, and San Jose. They all reside in the Western Conference. The West has more top-end teams, I would say. Now you have to put Winnipeg in that conversation. The top three teams in terms of goal differential are all in the West. Yes. Canucks, Jets, and Kings. 
And that um, doesn't even include Colorado and Dallas and Vegas. Like the, I, 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 I just think, relatively speaking, that the West has the stronger teams. And it's why when we're talking about a guy like Jake Gensel out of Pittsburgh, I don't see them trading Jake Gensel because I don't see the Penguins falling out of the playoff race far enough ahead of the deadline for the Penguins to make that decision. They're all in with this team. Okay, well, they brought back. They brought in Eric Carlson. They kept Latang. They kept Malkin. Sid is still there, and he's playing unbelievable. They're going to trade Jake Gensel well, as a rental? They, they, Come on! Well, they might not be able to afford to keep him, right? They, yeah, so they're going to keep him for a potential playoff run. Oh, he if could the, be their pe- own rental. If the Peng- no, he's just part of their team. If the Penguins. Uh, are even close to a playoff spot of the deadline, I'd be shocked if they trade Gensel. What kind of message would that send to Sid from Kyle Dubas? Okay. I think that would be insane. I think if the Penguins were able to get in as a wildcard team, I, I wouldn't even consider them a huge underdog to go on a deep run. Okay, so as an instructive exercise and also to bring Greg Wyshynski back into the fold because he's angered up the blood. Of Canucks fans, uh, he. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask him about, but we ran out of time. He, they do the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, hope tiers, T I E R S, right? So, who's legit? Who's the second tier? Who's the third tier? So, right now in tier one, true Stanley Cup contenders, Wish and the ESPN crew have identified five true Stanley Cup contenders: Boston, mm-hmm. Colorado, yep. Dallas, mm-hmm. Florida. And the New York Rangers. Oh, sorry, six. The Vegas Golden Knights are in there as well. That's it. After that, it's it's another tier of good playoff caliber teams that aren't Stanley Cup contenders. So there's something to consider, at the very least, as a talking point. But the other talking point... So much friend, of it will depend on health, too, right? Like, yeah. if New Jersey gets healthy, then I think they're a legit Cup contender. But the other reason that I'm bringing this up is uh, something that Wish mentioned right off the top of his hit in the hour one of this show. By the way, you can download the hour one podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, Canadian Tire, wherever you get your podcasts. Hour one will be up momentarily. Um, Wish went on a tangent, and then you and him had a back and forth about it, talking about where the current mind state of the collective Vancouver Canuck fan is right now. Because Wish seems to think... That based on a Thomas Drance tweet, we are all fat and sassy and high and mighty and cocky about the team's collective outlook. Yeah, I think he got that one wrong. And Uh, I think he was taking a Thomas Drance tweet that was a little bit disparaging of Adam Fox, who is a heck of a defenseman, but I think had a pretty rough game yesterday. Um, Maybe he's extrapolating a little too much out of that, especially considering his Drance, too. Here's a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line. I do understand where Wish is coming from, but I really do not detect a pervasive arrogance about the Canucks by this fan base. If anything, the most common feeling is cautious enjoyment. The most common feeling for me is still complete shock and surprise that the Canucks are playing this well and having these results. Yeah, It still is. We're halfway through the season now. I think it's game 41 tonight for the Vancouver Canucks, and I am still shocked that they're doing this. I thought they might be a little bit improved this season. I did not think they'd 
have all the accolades that they do right now, you know, first in the division, um, maybe a Norris Trophy winner, maybe a, a coach of the year, um, Brock Besser scoring, uh, you know, 20, he's on pace for 50 goals right now. Petey and Miller on pace for over 100 points. Like, Your depth I, you know, players like, carrying it? Yeah, like that third line. I didn't see that coming at well, all. Well, I like because, I like because, you know, enjoyment, though. You know, in, like the, in, in, in the preseason, uh, in the preseason, I don't think we were talking about, like, what if they put Bluger, Garland, and Dakota Joshua together? Yeah. Do you think that could be a line? Like, right. like, that stuff never happens in the preseason. You don't talk about putting your third lines together. You're like, well, I wonder if Bluger can be a 3C, and then they sign Suter, and they're like, oh, I like that. Suter can be the 3C, and Bluger can be the 4C. And then you see that Bluger has this incredible chemistry with Garland and Joshua, and those guys are just playing really well together. And now the goals are starting to go in for them. And you see the versatility of Suter that allows Rick Tockett to reconstruct the lotto line when before the season you'd be like, he, he can't reconstruct the lotto line. That'd, that'd be crazy. You can't. Who's going to be your 2C then? Yeah. Right? All of this stuff is I, – I, I'm, I'm still completely shocked. I'm – enjoying it um and i think if they can stay healthy there is some staying power to this but i also think there's part of me that's like a lot has gone right for the canucks well yeah. ca- that's why cautious enjoyment is a, like cautious that's a good way sure. to sum it up of maybe the average canucks fan that's that really exactly follows the team because you are having a lot of fun right now but in the back of your mind you're like something goes wrong like we're just waiting for some, something to happen here but that is exactly what rick talkett is preaching to his team mm-hmm because he said that is almost to to a T what a dog said. He's like, enjoy it. You should enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, you should enjoy the wins. You should enjoy going into an arena like Madison Square Garden. Which, by the way, like, what an awesome atmosphere. It, even when you're watching on TV, you, you, you know it's the my it's my favorite NHL arena that I've been to. That's the it only is, away NHL arena I've ever been to. It's such a it awesome. It's such a great atmosphere. And when the Rangers looked like they were gonna make a game of it, and they did make a game of it, that place came alive. When it was 3-2 to two for the Canucks, that place came alive. And and I think, so what Rick Tockett is saying, like, enjoy that. You went into Madison Square Garden, you played, some, you played a good game, you scored some great goals, and you beat a really good team in the New York Rangers. But at the same time, it's back to the cliches. We don't let our highs get too high, and we don't let our lows get too low. And I think the problem with the Canucks over the last few years is they've let their lows get way too low. Sure. And one of the most impressive things about this Canucks team, and we've said it a few times, is it seems like after every loss, they respond with a good performance and a good result. They've only lost two in a row twice. Yeah. All season. They haven't had they haven't had a losing streak. Yeah, and that might be the biggest indicator of potential future success. Because I know that NHL coaches have oftentimes in the back half of the season chopped up the schedule into five-game segments or seven-game segments to try and replicate what the playoffs are going to look like. And the entire goal is, of these seven games, can we make sure that we win four of the three and not go on an extending losing streak? I remember Daryl Sutter did it um, when the Calgary Flames went on their Stanley Cup run in 03-04. Is he did it the last... 28 games of the regular season. He broke it up into four seven-game sets. So the ability to not have multi-game losing streaks is super important, and I think it's very reflective of this team's uh, abilities, the high end that they have talent-wise, and I think a 
growth within the leadership group about what they need to do to win games. Like, that's great. As for the fan, I just want to circle back on what Wish was talking about and what a lot of people into the Dunbar Lumber text line are talking about with regards to the collective feeling of the fan base. For the first time in a long time, I don't really have a firm grasp on where the collective fan base is at. And I'm okay admitting that. I mean, I do this for a living. I'm in here every day. I read social media. I monitor the Dunbar Lumber text line. I have yet to see a common theme, trend, attitude, or approach from listeners and fans and everybody else. I think maybe some of that has to do with what you were alluding to earlier, which is still kind of shocked and surprised by how the season has gone. Yeah. And that's fair. Whenever you're shocked or surprised or stunned by something. It doesn't seem logical that there can be this big an improvement in the team based on a coaching change and a few additional depth pieces. That's fair. Right? These are all the same guys that were around. Like the core is still the same. Right, except for Bo Horvath. But touching on what he well, said yeah, earlier, there's a key thing I think a lot of yeah. people don't talk enough about and that they're not as mentally fragile as they were before. The team. Like they, the team. Like they have a collective belief that they could win these games now, whereas last year you would see them fall apart over and over again. You know, the, the two goal leads, whatever. Yeah. The same group of players, for whatever reason, well, over the course of this offseason, developed this. Well, I think a lot of this that leadership is. Ability. I don't know what it is exactly, but they have a belief now that they can win every game. I think it starts from the top, from the organization on down. You've got alignment between the management and the coach, which you certainly didn't have when Bruce Boudreaux was here. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got Rick Tockett and his coaching staff, not just him, but also guys like Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar. They have a belief in the system. Working with the leadership yeah. group to, you know, we, when we heard that phrase over the offseason, we were like, Tockett was like, I got to empower the leadership group. And I was like, I wonder what that means. Mm-hmm. And I think what he essentially meant was like, I need to teach these guys how to lead the team. And maybe you give them a nudge here and there and go like, you know, when I was in Philadelphia or when I was in the league, our captain might have done this at this point, Quinn. Mm-hmm. You know, something along those There's lines. this guy called Mario Lemieux. Let me tell you about him. <laughs> there is, yeah, but there is a certain sense of, like, improbability about this entire thing. Oh, no, yeah, totally. for sure. There is a craziness to for it. For example, if you had told me... That this year, that the last year's co-leading goal scorer, Andre Kuzmenko, who tied with Pedersen for the team leading goals with 39, would regress as much as he has and provided as little as he has offensively, that this team would be the leading goal scoring team in the NHL. I would have said that's a, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. There's no way that a 39 goal scorer can fall off a cliff, and yet the team's offensive production will spike through the roof as a result. But that's exactly what's happened. Uh, I'm going to read a bunch of texts in the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, this one just came in. This is the most complete Canucks team I've ever seen. Balanced scoring. This is the year to go for it. Whatever we can add, uh, whatever we can to add pieces to make a run. I don't think of this. I don't. I don't know if this is the most complete Canucks team I've ever seen. That conversation that, was happening on the post game show last. That night, 2011 but. team. Um, go look at their team stats. They were first in almost everything. They had the best goals for, they had the best goals against, they had the best power play, they had the best penalty kill. And the Canucks penalty kill still is problematic. I think the Canucks defense in 2011 was deeper. They didn't have a Quinn Hughes, so that balances things off a little bit in favor of this current team. Um, But, you know, I would take, I would probably take that defense from 2011 in terms of its depth over this current one, because I still don't know what 
what the Canucks have from their second and third pair. I know they have a really good first pair. This but I'm the, still not sure that. But you this know, is this is, is the is, best is, team is, that they've had by far in the last ten years. Like what? Who is their second pair right now? Is it Susie and um, Susie and Cole, or is it Myers and Zadorov? Like what is their second pair? We knew what the pairs were in 2011. It was Edler Erhoff and Ham Houston Bieksa, and then Salo when he was healthy, he would play on the third pair, right? Mm-hmm. So they didn't have the high end, but I think they had a little more reliable. Depth. Maybe I'm underrating what, what they've got right now. Um, I want to read a few more texts in, uh, and this is about the trade deadline, and I love that people are texting this in because it's one of those good dilemmas. The only thing, unsigned text, the only thing I worry about the trade deadline is if they bring in a big-name player, will it disrupt the chemistry this team has right now? I'll just go out on, you know what? I'll, what if they bring in a Jake Gensel? Where does he go? Right? Where well, does he play? I would imagine, yeah, that's a good question. If the lotto line is still together, which it may not be. I mean, if the lotto line's not together, then it's then it's obvious. It go, just goes on one of the top oh, two look, lines, if, maybe if, with Petey. If you're talking about uh, everything either building up or loading up towards the playoffs, the, the line combinations, hypothetically speaking, if you bring a guy like that in, the line combinations aren't going to really matter because what Stock has shown is that they've got versatility. He had, I mean, put it this way. If you want to look at it, house of optimism and house of positivity, he had the luxury of waiting until the midway point of the season to put the lotto line together because his hand was not forced at any time over the first 40 games of the season Mm -hmm. to the point where it was like, we got to put these guys together our offense is cratered or we're really struggling or yeah. we've gone on a multi-game losing streak. He's like, we had kind of a so-so game against St. Louis. He's like, let's give this a try. Oh my God, this is amazing. The only thing that he's really done lineup-wise of note is keep healthy scratching Kuzmenko and that's more about Kuzmenko not about shaking up the group or whatever. I mean, this that that's an amazing thing that he was able to unleash the lotto line and reunite it at the midway point of the season and they responded by putting up 18 collective points in two straight games. Like, that's a great sign for the. So, uh, to go back, adding pieces here, I don't necessarily think you need to worry about chemistry being upset or a balance of the room being thrown off. The other reason I say this is I, I know big game hunting is fun to talk about and it's exhilarating and it makes I'm kind of getting excited about this trade. I, I don't think it's out there. I don't. I don't think the type of big game hunting that everyone uh, is either anticipating or wants to happen is feasible given the current market, the current salary cap structure, and everything else. Right. It's just not there. In order to make a massive deal, there definitely have some to pretty mo- significant money that would need to be moved out. Myers could be moved out, and I guess Kuzmenko could be moved out too. Right. Right. I. W- I don't think they're going to move. I think. I think moving Myers would be tough. Because just because of the dynamic that's currently existing, don't get me wrong. What dynamic is that? That they're winning a ton of hockey games oh, right, and he's okay. a contributing member of the blue line. I see. I think the I think Kuzmenko is more interesting mm-hmm. because you could make the argument that he's expendable. You could also make the argument that Taka wouldn't want to play him in the playoffs anyway. Well, see, there's another part of it. Even are on you, a sheltered third line, are you going to park him in the in the press box in the playoffs? I could see Taka doing it. Yeah, I don't think he's got a ton of faith in his. Ability. He's been healthy scratched five times in the regular season. Yeah. So there's that. Aside from the Kuzmenko thing, um, I'm not sure that... I mean, go look at the available guys on the market, right? We talk about Gensel, but you bring up a good point every time in, in a rebuttal. 
Are the Penguins really going to part with the guy? Given their current landscape, I would say no. I would say unless they go on a massive losing streak and they're way out of the playoffs by the time the deadline arrives. and that's yeah. But that's not going to happen. I, I don't think it's going to happen. They're a good team. All, the Penguins that, are a good team. I always joke about Steve Stamkos, but, I mean, that's a pipe dream, and it's not probably not going to happen. I think Stamkos is more likely than Gensel because right. I think the Lightning are going to miss the playoffs. They, something's off about them, and I think that would be a team that might look at moving Stamkos because they feel like they need to reload a little bit. Right, and it could happen. Maybe not here. Maybe he gets moved, period. But as we've seen, these deals are extremely difficult to make. Mm-hmm. Right? That's why the trade deadline has been so underwhelming for the last few seasons. It's been all these spare parts, last-minute yeah. additions, just sort of you know C and D-grade acquisitions because the big game hunting that we knew from 20, 25, 30 years ago, it's too hard to do under the current salary cap structure, especially for teams that are pushed up against the ceiling. I mean, there will be pieces added. Yeah, I'll tell you that right now. This is a they will do something. Yeah, this is a sure. Jim Rutherford, Patrick yeah. Alvin team, but Jim Rutherford in particular. And according to Money Puck, as of this morning, a ninety nine point one percent likelihood to make the playoffs. The Vancouver Canucks, right? The, the, I the wish Win- it was a hundred. The Winnipeg Jets are ninety nine point two, and the Canucks are ninety nine point. So it'll be more like twenty eleven with like the little things added here and there that make up the big difference. See, that's a t- you can't. We should stop putting everything in the context of 2011 to start because everything is so fundamentally different, including the way that they were able to manipulate. But those kind of moves put the team over the And yes, obviously, cap situation, totally different. Economics of it all. I get that. But But it all happened. Maybe those are the kinds of moves that he would target. But it all happened because they monkeyed with LTIR. Mm Mm-hmm. And they were able to stash, essentially stash until. Well, they yeah, also and, had Luongo on that long-term contract that brought his cap head down. Right. Those it, those um, mechanics and. I get the economics are totally different, but I'm just saying, like maybe those are the kinds of trades that, as opposed to these the big game hunting, as you're saying. Yeah. Um, Arthur Staples is going to join us next. Talk a little bit about well, both New York teams because uh, Art covers both the Rangers and the Islanders. Um, I don't know how the uh, you were you were saying that the Islanders are doing all right this season. I haven't followed them at all. Yes, they are uh, ten four and four in their last eighteen. They moved mm. up to third in the uh, Metropolitan Division, and Bo Horvat is on pace for a career high in points. He's a, over a point a game player. He's on pace for eighty two points. So he, I mean, they one of the more improbable turnarounds this season because uh, they started like eight. Seven and six. They've got a ton of overtime losses, which mm-hmm. is crazy. And everyone thought, well, this is it. They were calling for Lane Lambert's job. They were thinking maybe this is going to be, you know, a rebuild and a retool. And what happens because you just signed Horvat to this really long extension. And then they turn, they flip the switch in December. And they've been pretty good over their last 18. And as mentioned, they're in right in the thick of that playoff chase. They're in the playoff positioning right now. So we can talk to Arthur Staple about that. We can also look back on last night's game against the Rangers. It's all coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Seven thirty-one on a 
Tuesday. It's a big band Tuesday here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program. We are smack in the middle of it. Arthur Staple from The Athletic is going to join us in just a moment here. Before we get to Arthur, I need to tell you about the meticulous brewing at Primetime Craft Beer. Jason likes the way I say meticulous. It's with trepidation and fear. Yeah, like you're going to screw it up. I probably will one day. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste, Primetime Craft Beer is full of flavor without compromise. It's at a liquor store near you or visit the brewery to see how it's made. I actually trip up more over brewery than I do over anything else. Because I don't enunciate it properly. Mm-hmm. I just say, brewery. I'll check out the brewery. <laughs> it's the best. Okay, uh, let's go to the phone lines now. It's the Canucks and Isles tonight, 4.30 from UBS Arena. Joining us now from the Athletic, Arthur Staple here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Arthur. How are you? I'm good, boys. How are we doing? Uh, we are well. The local hockey squadron is well. I know you got a chance to see them tonight. I'm not sure how much you've actually watched the Canucks this season, so curious right off the hop to get your thoughts on what you saw in last night's 6-3 win over the Rangers at MSG. A lot of good pace. Uh, I just like the way the, the tempo that they play at. You know, the Rangers have been the best team in the East or one of the best teams in the East all year, and I've watch them a bunch and the Islanders have been up and down and had, you know, some good, some good flashes, but you don't see a team out here that plays with that kind of consistent tempo. And they do give up a lot. Um, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of the Rangers in 21, 22, where they have that, you know, they're high end guys uh, who can produce and, and make really eye popping plays like the ones Patterson and even Hoaglander is maybe not considered one of the high end guys, but should be kind of play he made last night and then the goalie erases a lot of the defensive mistakes and that's what Demko's doing it's uh it's a good recipe it's in the in the era of you know sub 900 save percentages now that we're in 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 the NHL if you have a goalie you can play at that consistently high a level you're going to be ahead of the pack and you're going to be one of the Stanley Cup favorites as long as you stay healthy so it seems like they got the right recipe going right now kind of begs the question what has happened to Igor Shosturkin um, not as much as you'd think. I mean, he's still above average. He's still good. But I think when you set that standard like he did two years ago, um, not only for your teammates that get used to you covering up all their mistakes, but you get used to it. And I think, you know, you see some frustration creep in. There's been games like the one last night where a couple of goals turns into three, four, and five. I think it was the, the ninth time this season they've given up at least five already in, in half a season. Um, and he's been in that for a few of them. He was in there for giving up six to Carolina uh, last week. And um, these are the, the quality teams that the Rangers need to be better against defensively. And then if they're not as good, they're used to Shesterkin making the big save and, and he hasn't made enough of them. And maybe the chances have been a little too high quality, but um, as tough as he is on himself, I think, uh, I think maybe there's a need for a bit of a, a mental reset for him kind of like he had last year where he started off similarly where he wanted to get to that same level and wasn't there until about midway through the season. We're about midway through the season now. Rangers' record is a lot better than it was midway through last year, but if he can kind of get himself right and get back to that, you know, not even it doesn't have to be 930 save percentage. Even if he's a 915, 920, that's going to carry them, uh, you know, to probably do to 
to a division title and still be a, 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 one of the favorites to get to the final. So um, maybe lowering some expectations from the fan base and from within might help them a bit. Um, how are things different with the Rangers this season? Um, because they had such a good regular season last year and it looked good to start against the New Jersey Devils, but ultimately they lost that first round series to the Devils and you know, in, in the aftermath it exposed... I don't know, is it fair to say some organizational dysfunction? Yeah, I mean, there wasn't, uh, there was definitely some friction between uh, Gerard Gallant and and management, and it was resolved in the way those things usually get resolved, which is a change behind the bench. And, you know, Peter Laviolette comes in with a, with a pretty long resume, um, and certainly at the top of that, you know, of his achievements is his first year in pretty much every stop he's made he's gotten out of the gate really strong and whether it's, uh, you know, systemic stuff, whether it's, uh, you know, off the ice team building stuff, he's, he's pretty much become an expert in both of those things. Um, you see some of the slippage now in part due to the fact that they've got some real pros, you know, that they added, they added 10 guys uh, in free agency in July one and July two, and none of them cost over a million bucks. So uh, you've seen Jonathan quick who got off to such a great start as just Durkin's backup. Eric Gustafson turned out to be a big addition when Adam Fox missed a month with a knee injury. Nick Bonino has been pretty solid. Um, but these are guys that are, you know, Blake Wheeler's had some good moments, but these are not guys that are going to like be major needle movers here. And I think some of the wear and tear is starting to show on some of these older guys. Um, so we'll see, you know, they, they might get Capo Caco back here in the next week. Philip Hedl is slowly returning from a concussion. Um, Chris Jury has certainly shown in his two years, two previous years as GM that he, he's very willing to go for it at the trade deadline with big moves. So uh, I think they have some ways to maneuver out of this little funk they've been in the last month or so. Um, but a few warning signs that, that maybe they're, they're, you know, they're not as deep um, as they could be. And whatever magic Laviolette was weaving in the first, you know, six to eight weeks of the season might be wearing off a little bit. So it's time to kind of shake things up a bit. We're speaking to Arthur Staple of The Athletic here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, you mentioned the trajectory of the Rangers season. It's almost been the opposite for the Islanders, who got off to a pretty middling start. They were 8, 7, and 6 at one point. Remember, we were coming in here doing the morning show and saying, I wonder how much longer Lane Lambert has on the job in New York. Well, they've really turned it around since the calendar flipped to December. 10-4-4 four, and four in their last 18 What's been the key to the Isles' turnaround since that very mediocre start to the season? Boy, it beats me. Uh, they're, such a, <laughs> they're such a funny team to watch. They, you know, they give up more shots than any team in the league other than San Jose, who you'd expect because they're so bad. Um, they give up more scoring chances and high-danger scoring chances than anybody except San Jose and Chicago, who's also you'd expect to be at the top of that list. And yet they're winning games, you know, and in addition, they've blown a ton of leads, uh, which they did when they were out in Vancouver a while back. So um, it's kind of the, a bit of the opposite of what we've come to know from the Islanders, uh, starting with the Lou Lamarillo, Barry Trotz regime a few years ago, where they were stingy defensively and, and not very talented offensively. But once they got a lead, they were, they never really gave it up. Uh, now they get a lead, they give it back, they get it back, they give it back and, hope to eke out a, a high scoring win it's it's uh it's a bit strange to see you know i think bo horvat has, has fit in really well um him and matthew barzell have really good chemistry and and horvat i think has been everything they've asked him to be in terms of 
guy who wins faceoffs and plays tough minutes and scores some key goals. He's really helped their power play, which has been bad for a few years now. It's you know top half of the league, which is a big achievement for them. Uh, but defensively, you know, there looks like they're going to get Adam Pellick back tonight. Uh, he's missed, I think, 24, 23, 24 games. Uh, Scott Mayfield missed 15 games. Ryan Pollock still out. These are guys that are the cornerstone of that, that tough defense. And the fact that they've improved their standing without those guys is, is probably a testament to how good their offense has been and how good Ilya Sorokin's been. And now with Semyon Varlamov out, uh, he hasn't even resumed skating since he left the game in, in Denver last week. Uh, it's Sorokin's net. You just hope he doesn't get burned out facing 35 shots and, you know, 15 high danger chances a night. But uh, his numbers aren't great, but he's been superb in net, really keeping them in some of these games. Um, I don't know if it's a very sustainable formula, but it's working right now. And as long as you can bank some points through the first, you know, 50 or 60 games, you're usually in good shape. What do you think about the strategy that the Islanders have employed to sign some... They're not star players, but I wouldn't call them like bottom of the barrel players. Let's just say depth players to long-term contracts. You know, I, I think Lou Lamorello is always looking for ways to kind of be creative. Um, I don't know if it's the right people you want to apply those create creative uh, workarounds to. You know, Pierre Engvall has been a healthy scratch a couple of times. He was really good when he came in last year and coincidentally, uh, going into a contract summer. So sometimes you see guys step up their play when they need a new deal, and he got uh, a seven-year deal. And, um, you know, he, he's on a line that uh, with Brock Nelson and Kyle Palmieri that at the beginning of the season was, was the Islanders' best, and it's tailed off a bit. And I think he's just, you know, I think he's kind of reverted back to why he was a bit maddening in Toronto, just not enough straight-line play, likes to kind of curl back and, doesn't really utilize his speed as well as he'd like. Uh, and Scott Mayfield was one of the other ones, got a seven-year deal, and like I said, been hurt. You know, he's over 30, plays a very physical style. He was never a, a big, you know, up-and-down 200-foot defenseman to begin with. So you worry about it down the road, uh, and I guess maybe not, you know, the, the biggest concern is if you start to worry about it in year one or two, then it certainly was the wrong decision. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't mind the Engvall one. They're not really deep on the wings. He's a guy who can, you know, as long as he's maybe he's not a top six guy, but he can certainly help you. The Mayfield one was a little bit confounding to me because if they traded him uh, at all in the last couple of years going into it, either of the last two deadlines, they would have gotten back a pretty huge haul. And, and Lou Amarillo doesn't like to sit on those assets as he's shown, but, uh, but at least to have them to use in, in a different deal would have been interesting. And, you know, Mayfield's really a five six guy right now. You know, he's got a, he's playing up now because of the injuries, but but he's a third pair defenseman at this point in his career. So you get a third pair defenseman locked up for that long. I don't know if that's uh, like I said, if that's a good use of the creativity that that Lou Lamoureux is trying to use to stay cap compliant and a little bit flexible to try to make other moves. Um, we're going to put you on the spot a little bit here because we were having a conversation about the Eastern Conference and how I look at the Eastern Conference and you know I don't really see a, a, a powerhouse team. I don't see a team that's like an obvious favorite. And this was a conversation about like if Pittsburgh can sneak into the playoffs, even the wild card, like. I personally don't see any reason why they couldn't go on a run. Now, I'm not saying that that's definitely going to happen, but that's the way I'd be thinking if I were Kyle Dubas. How do you see the Eastern Conference? I mean, I think you just look at, you know, the 
I think it's about team, you know where the Islanders are, which is right now. I think in third place, the teams win. They'll be in tenth. It's, <laughs> right, uh, right. It, it, it's just really bunched up, and I think the way that the Bruins and the Rangers started, you kind of were thinking, all right, maybe these are the two teams that are you know kind of like how Boston did last year. Um, these are the teams that are going to set the standard, but they're starting to come back to the pack a little bit. Florida has been really good. We still haven't seen Toronto's best this year, and they're still right in the mix. And now Carolina's starting to get it together and get a little goaltending. If Jersey can get a little goaltending, maybe they move up. Pittsburgh, uh, you know, I think by the underlying numbers, has been probably the best team in the East all season, and they just haven't had the goaltending or, or the luck to show for it. So they can certainly rise up. Uh, Philly has been confounding everybody. Washington's confounding everybody. Uh, the Islanders may be confounding some people too. Um, and we haven't even talked about Tampa. Who knows where they'll end up? So, it, you know, there's there's legitimately nine or 10 teams, maybe even 11, if you want to throw Detroit into the mix, vying for these playoff spots. And then once they get in, you know, yeah, I, I don't see anybody who, who stands out. You know, I, I'm running down the Islanders here, but you've got arguably the best goalie out of out of the whole group in mm-hmm. Sorokin, even though the numbers don't show it. If he can keep a high level up and get to another level in the playoffs. Yeah, it could be them. Um, you know, I think, I think it's wide open, which is kind of fun to see. It felt like things were a little bit locked down for the top eight spots last year at this time, maybe with a couple of changes. Uh, so I'm interested to see, you know, I don't know if Philly and Washington will, will keep their pace up, but Pittsburgh, Jersey, Carolina, they may not be teams that finish with a big number of points, but probably those three, get on a roll at the end of the season, they've got as good a chance as, as the Rangers or Boston or, or Florida to, to, to get out of the East and get to the final. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty wild and, and wide open, and uh, I, I can't see it kind of closing down, especially as we get towards the trade deadline, and there's going to be a few guys out there that, that all these same teams are going to be trying to fit under the cap or try to get in there to give them that, that extra edge. So it'll be fun the next few months. Uh, real quick before we let you go, you mentioned Sorokin. I was checking, and he's been the goalie of record in each of the last seven games, and then that's apparently going to be eight because they just don't have another option to play in net right now? <laughs> that's correct. They've got Ken Appleby, who last played in the NHL, I believe, six years ago, backing him up. They wow. don't have any good young guys in the system. So, uh Yep, it's Sorokin's net until uh, who knows when. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> All right. Arthur, always uh, great to catch up with you. Thank you for your uh, insight on not one, but two teams and the Eastern Conference as well. Great work today. Thanks, buddy. You got it, guys. Take care. Thanks. That's uh, Arthur Staple from The Athletic here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Laddie, do you know who Ken Appleby is? You're the, you're the goalie expert. So I'm assuming that of anybody who knows a guy that hasn't played in the NHL in six years, yet is somehow a backup netminder I have, actively. I have worked with Ken Appleby. Oh, <laughs> Recently. Is he in the radio business too? Yeah. You know? He's uh, the pride of North Bay. Yeah. Big, big dude. Uh, he bounced around. He played for uh, in the OHL for a number of years and... Yeah, he was part of the one of the goaltending schools that I work for. He was one of the main guys, Ken oh, Appleby. Because like this isn't meant as any disrespect to him, but they, they're not going to play him. They're playing Sorokin all like. So Varlamov's hurt. Varlamov's hurt. Okay. Yeah, uh, Arthur, he's capable. He's played in NHL games. Before. I know that's what I'm saying. I because they've really run out Sorokin. Like part of the story for the Islanders this season has been Sorokin has faced a ton of shots and has also played a ton of games. But they they don't have like they're not going to 
throw Ken Appleby in net, I don't think. I'm biased. I think they should do it, but... <laughs> Maybe think, they should do it tonight. Yeah. Against the Canucks. That would be great. On the second of a back-to-back for the Vancouver Canucks, get a tired team. You're going to be playing the other team's backup in Casey DeSmith. No, he's, he's a really good dude, actually. He was... Uh, when they were pro- doing prototypes for a lot of the new gear, uh, when they were coming back with like new pants, a new chest protector for goalies, he was one of the guinea pigs. Oh. So we were asking him tons of questions about the equipment, and he was taking lots of stingers. See, we didn't even prep that. I just knew that if I was to ask yeah, yeah. anybody about a random goalie, mm-hmm. that Jason said, who is Ken Appleby? Uh, I knew that you would know. I can so get thank- him on the line if you want to get him on the show tomorrow. Thank you for delivering, Greg. <laughs> I appreciate it. So let's recap what has happened so far on this Canucks seven-game road trip. They went into St. Louis. Um, I don't think they played super poorly, but they didn't get the bounces that they did against Ottawa, which was their last home game. You remember the game against Ottawa. Everything was going in for them. Even Pew Suter was just like flipping it on net. It's like, and it's a goal. Um, Brock Besser had a great chance to score in that St. Louis game um, to make it 2-1 Canucks in the third period, but instead it was Robert Thomas with a nice shot that beat Thatcher Demko, and the Blues ended up winning that 2-1. to one. Um, Then we started talking after that St. Louis game, and I was like, you know, like maybe they should try mixing up the top six a little bit, and I guess the coaching staff had that same conversation, and the lotto line was reunited for the New Jersey game, and they went into New Jersey against, granted, uh, a team that had a bunch of injuries, including Jack Hughes was out, and they dominated New Jersey. The Devils did make it interesting right at the end, but overall that was a really dominant performance by the Canucks. The lot of line looked amazing, but so did all the other lines. And then they go into New York and we were like, okay, well, let's see if they can do that again. Let's see if this lot of line can do it again. Yep, they did again. Mm-hmm. One of PD's best games of the season, two goals, two assists. Um, and one of the goals was absolutely brilliant. Um, I don't know what was more impressive, like the first part of the goal where he beat the Rangers defense or the second part the second of the goal. Part, the hands on the second the hands part. That was the most impressive And part. the composure, uh, it just looks so easy when PD is on. Mm-hmm. Um, Nils Hoaglander had uh, a couple of goals, including a very nice goal. And Thatcher Demko, I thought, played really well early on and stopped a lot of shots. The Rangers did put 42 shots on net, and Demko stopped 39 of them. Okay, so that's three games into the road trip. The lotto line is back together. I anticipate it's going to be together tonight against the New York Islanders. We already did a bit of a preview um, of the Islanders with Arthur Staple. They have a good goalie. Uh, They've been playing better as of late, but they allow a lot of shots. So this is maybe one of those games where the Canucks can get the possession advantage again. And for the people that continue to doubt the Canucks, a lot of it is based on the fact that In a lot of games, even though they win, they don't necessarily control the game. They get a lot of big saves, and they take advantage of their elite shooting talents, and maybe they get a little bit lucky, too. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is a game where they can, um, I don't want to say dominate the Islanders. I don't know if they're going to dominate the Islanders like they dominated the Devils, but get the better of the Islanders. And hey, how about getting a power play or two? that'd That'd, That'd be nice. That's just a message for the referees. So after the Islanders game, the Canucks... Travel to Pittsburgh to play Thursday to play this very interesting Penguins team that I think they're a good team, but for whatever reason, they just can't put it together. Like, they can't get going. They're the Washington Huskies last night. The Huskies last night, they just, like, couldn't put it together. You could see the potential. Yep. You know, you could watch and you're like, man, just keep doing that over and over. But the Huskies, and this is our first mention of the Huskies, just they didn't play very well last night. 
And the Penguins, I can't get a handle on this team. So I'll be looking forward to seeing the Canucks play uh, Pittsburgh in, th- on, um, in Pittsburgh on Thursday. Two more games after that, Saturday in Buffalo against the once again disappointing Buffalo Sabres. And then they finish it off Monday in Columbus against one of the most disappointing teams in the NHL this season, the Columbus Blue Jackets. So they're 2-1-1 and one on the road trip, yep. and you'd at least like them to go 2-2 two and two in their next four games. People might be saying, like, You're, they should go perfect. Look at the way they're playing, or at least 3-1. and one. Still going to be tough. You know, they're still on the road. This is going to be a tough one tonight. They're going to be playing tired. They're going to be playing an Islanders team that's, that's you know, in a playoff spot right now. And then Thursday's going to be tough too. Pittsburgh, based on their underlying numbers, that's a good team. Uh, and then you never know what happens. You can get tripped up against teams like Buffalo and Columbus like they got tripped up against St. Louis. Yeah, the, when the schedule came out at the beginning of the year, this seven-game road swing to kick off 2024, a lot of people had circled it as this is going to be a very profound moment for the team because it's, you know, one of the longest trips of the year, really, really uh, tight schedule in terms of how many games you're playing over how many days and the quality of opponents, right? Because going into this season, everyone expected the Rangers, the Devils and the Penguins, especially to be playoff caliber teams. I don't know what people thought about the Islanders going in. I don't know what people thought of the Penguins either. Okay. Besides the point, the real point of this is this trip now in the early stages of it, is becoming even more profoundly important. And it's funny, you mentioned the St. Louis game. And the one game, really, where the offense sputtered noticeably. Like, mm-hmm. I remember listening to the post-game show afterwards, reading the Dunbar Lumber text in basket, and a lot of people were lamenting the lack of finish. And it was because Rick Tockett said after that Blues game that we didn't bury our chances and we didn't finish and we didn't have... got to bear down. Right. The response after that Blues game was reuniting the lotto line. When, let's be honest, the circumstances didn't especially call for it. It was a one-off in St. Louis where the offense didn't look ideal, and they only managed to manufacture one goal of offense. But Tockett went to it anyway. Whether he felt something, there was a vibe, maybe there were underlying numbers that suggested that the offense wasn't clicking at the level that he thought. The St. Louis game was the catalyst to put this line back together. I know I've been harping on this. Do you think Patrick Alvin right now and Jim Rutherford are like, uh, can you break up the lotto line? Because PD is getting too expensive. That's right. Shut it down. (laughs) You know it'll work. You've got proof of concept over these two games. Bring it out later in the season. You can't let them roll like this because the line is combined for 18 points in two games. I don't, I, again, a two game sample size is a two game sample size, but those are McDavid Dreisaitl numbers. Mm-hmm. Where the, the you know the whatever the coach of the moment or the coach is like okay, throw them back together. Let's watch them put up four and five points each for a few games, and it doesn't last. Everyone adjusts, and you can't score that kind of clip over eighty two games. But um, you know we've talked a lot on this show about the Pedersen dynamic, and there's so many different layers and facets and angles to it. But one of them was quality of line mates. And again, in a very small sample size, you have seen not just um, how good he can be, but how good and incredibly good a collective unit they can be when elite players are teamed with, you know, other elite players. Yeah. Because, I mean, well, if you think about it, I mean, Brock Besser is back to his elite goal scoring ways. 
Um, Petey has both elite goal scoring and elite playmaking ability. And while JT Miller does score goals, I think he is his best attribute is his passing ability. Put those three guys together. I mean, <laughs> 18 points in two games. Good things are going to happen. The question was always whether or not the Canucks could afford to put those guys together. And because they've got such a good performance out of the Bluger line and because they've got a line now with Pew Suter, Mikheyev, and Kuzmenko that you don't hate as a, whatever you want to call it, a second or third line. Maybe it's that sheltered third line. You know, that HBK line in Pittsburgh that had Phil Kessel, Benino, and Haglin. Talkin was asked about that earlier in the season, and he said, you know, one of the reasons that line had success was because the other team looked at the Sid line and the Malkin line and said, okay, well, we're going to have to check those guys. So that HBK line got a lot of soft matchups. And if you want to compare Kessel to Kuzmenko, you can. Right, They both got a lot of skill and they both drive coaches crazy, right? If you put that line in a position, you put Kuzmenko on that third line where he's in a position where maybe he's going to get some softer matchups, as opposed to if he's playing with Pedersen and he's not, maybe Tockett's going to like Kuzmenko a little bit more. Brendan Batchelor is going to join us next. We'll talk more about the Canucks and this road trip that they're on, the current form that... They're on uh, coming up next on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650.